Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of this time together, and we pray that your words speak to our hearts. Amen. Today's passage is one of those passages that is just like nice to listen to. It hits all the right notes. It's, it's inspiring, encouraging, and challenging, all mixed together, all in the right notes, right? Straight to the point, powerful phrases that seem to just get to the heart of our faith. Let us not love in word and speech, but in truth and action. Or how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? I mean, really, does it get much better than that? One would never guess what bookends this piece of text. You, you want to know? Good, because I'm going to tell you. Well, in the preceding passage, the writer of this letter references Cain and Abel, which leads to a pronouncement that all who hate a brother or sister are murderers. Yep. Yikes. And you want to know what's on the other end of this text? The Antichrist. Ta-da! Not exclusively in content, but also in form. This passage of scripture takes us on a wild ride that mirrors the ups and downs of life. From the highs of our best intentions, our best selves, to the lows of our greatest fears and worst, most selfish impulses. This week in our country, we found ourselves yet again on this roller coaster of highs and lows. On Tuesday alone, we swept from the high of a just verdict of guilty for the murder of George Floyd to the heartbreaking, devastating low at news of the death of 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant. Highs and lows. The writer of this letter knew intimately what it was to be human. This writer and knowing the highs and lows that accompany the human life points us all back to the ultimate life, that of Jesus the Christ. In today's passage, we are reminded of a bedrock teaching of the faith. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. I would wager that even the most casual of Christians has heard some version of this line before and is familiar with this strand of what is called atonement theology. And atonement theology is essentially this, that Jesus in his death became the sacrificial lamb who took upon himself the sins of the entire world, making us clean to stand before God. This morning, hearing again this refrain about Jesus laying down his life after centuries of consuming this particular atonement theology, well, it easily gives way for us to conclude that the focus here and forever should be on and is on how Jesus had to die to save us all. But friends, the writer here doesn't say that Jesus had to die Rather, he says that Jesus laid down his life, and that is the example that we follow. I, for, 
I too have long been under the assumption that the sacrifice of Jesus was always just about his death and how he had to die. But that's such a narrow view of everything that Jesus was, of everything that Jesus taught, and of how he lived and what he brought to the world. There are many ways in which there are many ways in which Jesus laid down his life. And these ways ultimately culminated in his death for sure. But friends, make no mistake, the sacrifices of Jesus cannot be easily pointed to just one moment, to arguably the worst moment of his life. All throughout his ministry, Jesus was in the business of laying down his life. In his book, Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, author and and religious scholar Reza Aslan recreates for the modern reader the worlds in which Jesus lived. He writes, Jesus was not the only miracle worker trolling through Palestine, healing the sick and casting out demons. This was a world steeped in magic, and Jesus was just one of untold numbers of diviners, dream interpreters, magicians, and medicine men who wandered Judea and Galilee. And he does, he goes on to list different medicine workers and healers and their names and what they did and how they talked. It's really fascinating. So after giving these examples of other healers and exorcists who were contemporaries of Jesus, he writes, it's worth noting that Jesus never exacted a fee for his services. Magicians, healers, miracle workers, exorcists, these were skilled and fairly well-paid professions in first century Palestine. At reading this the first time I stopped in my tracks, no one had ever told me this bit about Jesus. And how could this part have been missing from the story? This is huge. Jesus was given away for free what could have been his meal ticket out of poverty. Jesus in healing wasn't simply just healing people. Well, that would have been plenty. That would have been more than enough, right? But Jesus was also making the world a more just and equitable place by making healing and wholeness accessible to the masses who ordinarily would have been excluded from it. This is no small detail. Jesus in his life, firmly in his life, more so even than in his death, was showing God's saving action in the world. Later, Reflecting on what else made Jesus distinct from other miracle workers, Aslan goes on further to say, it's not simply that Jesus's work is free of charge or that his healings do not always employ a magician's methods. It's that Jesus's miracles are not intended as an end in themselves. Rather, his actions serve a pedagogical purpose a means of conveying a very specific message to the Jews. By connecting his miracles with Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus is stating in no uncertain terms that the year of the Lord's favor, which the prophets predicted has finally arrived. God's reign has begun. In scripture, in the gospels of Matthew and Luke, Jesus says, if by the finger I cast out demons, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Aslan picks up on that and he continues and he says, 
Jesus's miracles are thus the manifestation of God's kingdom on earth. It is the finger of God that heals the blind, the deaf, the mute, the finger of God that exercises the demons. Jesus's task is simply to wield that finger as God's agent on earth. Friends, Reza Aslan is a well-respected Muslim scholar. That it took a Muslim scholar, a former evangelical Christian who no longer ascribes to the view that Jesus is the Son of God to teach me this extraordinary truth about the one I hold most dear. Well, that's extraordinary. And that makes this learning so much more significant for me. All around us, the pendulum is swinging in academia and in churches. Many Christian scholars and many Christian believers no longer want to nor have to accept an atonement theology that glorifies a gruesome, violent death at the hands of the state as the pinnacle of God's saving moment for humanity. Nope, that's not really going to cut it. Not anymore. Jesus knew the heart of God in his life, in his life, not primarily or only in his death. Jesus wielded this finger of God in life. And while Jesus was alive, he gave life to scores of people free of charge because that's the heart of God. Jesus showed the nature of God in the way he lived his life. And it was not violent. It was not exploitive or self-serving. It was generous. It was self-sacrificial before the death. Jesus didn't just lay down his life solely by dying. That's a misinterpretation of the readings and of his life. Jesus laid down his life each day of his ministry by choosing the common interests of humanity over the interests of himself. And that, my friends, is one of the reasons, maybe the main reason we look to him as the perfecter of our faith, because he got it. He was it. He lived God's love so boundlessly. And you know what? He wanted the rest of humanity to get it too. God's goodness is not exclusive. It can never be contained. It is abundant and it should be given away to one and all free of charge. Jesus knew that. He lived that. Now let's go and do likewise. Amen.